0: Uh, all right, so we're going to be all over the place. So you need to stretch your Bible drill fingers. Did you guys, did anybody actually ever do Bible drill? Anybody in here know what that is? Okay, a few of you? Okay, okay. That was uh, what, what, what Baptists used to do back in the day, and I'm sure there's still churches that do it. Uh, Sunday school classes and RAs and GAs would do, uh, would do, it's like the kids program, would do Bible drill. And so you'd have to get out your Bible, and you'd put it on the table, and so that's drawing your sword, and you'd have to put your hand on top of it, and then they would give you a passage, and you'd have to get to it as fast as you could, and the first one there raised their hand, or read the passage, or whatever, and that's called Bible Drill. So should we do that this morning? No, no one wants to go, and I, you didn't have phones, you know, it's like you couldn't, you couldn't Google the passage, which would be great, but anyway. Yeah, you couldn't use your phone. There was no such thing. So if we do Bible drill, you can't use your phone. No, we're going to be all over the place this morning. I'm going to give you another Christmas message. How's that? huh? You good? All right. Okay, so since we started funny, let's pray. And let's get on track, and then we'll get going. Y'all ready? God, help us to understand and discern your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we know that we need you for that. And so uh, we ask that you would uh, would speak to us. Um, that you would bring us truth as only you can. And uh, God, we ask for openness with openness within us. Um, God, we pray that our flesh would get out of the way and that we would receive uh, the truth by the Spirit, that we would allow ourselves to be transformed and changed by your word. And we ask God for you to speak clearly uh, to us this morning. Uh, we thank you for each individual here. Uh, we know this is an appointed time and an appointed group, nothing in your kingdom happens by just happenstance. But, God, that you have appointed this hour for us to be together and for us to pray and worship and receive uh, the word together. And so we pray that we would do that uh, with love for one another and with love for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, how interesting was it? Did anybody look on the weather yesterday and on your app and see the high is 80 and the low is 22 or whatever it was that was a strange thing but it definitely came we were uh, we were in our kitchen when the wind changed it was kind of you know blustery but it was out of the south and it was, kind of, it was warm and then all of a sudden it's like we heard the howling and went out and all of a sudden there's this wind from the north Lindsay had this i don't know where. i guess it was on the weather channel app or something there's a temperature radar have you ever seen that so she had this temperature and it showed like red and orange which is heat and it was this diagonal line kind of across Texas and then it was blue and pink and it was it was crazy it was just this perfect line following that storm. So anyway, that was really cool to see. Weather is pretty pretty amazing. All right, so last week I kind of touched on this a little bit. We talked about we were in you don't have to go here not quite yet. Um, but we, were, we talked a little bit about Isaiah chapter 7 and the promise um, of the virgin birth was in, was in the 7th chapter of Isaiah. We talked about that because last week we went kind of into uh, Mary's uh, process and how she cherished everything um, in her heart. She, um, she received the word that the angel gave to her. She questioned it, but we talked about not for the purpose of disobedience, but for the, actually for the purpose of obedience because her desire was to understand and her statement at the end uh, of, that, uh, of that question was what? Behold the, you remember? The servant, okay. this It's been finals week, I'll forgive you. Uh, the behold the handmaid of the Lord or behold the servant of the Lord. And she says, may it be done to me according to your will. And all throughout this, uh, uh, all throughout the story of Jesus' birth and, um, and them moving and uh, all throughout, th- there's these, uh, this phrase that Mary cherished and stored. It says it stored these things, she stored these things up in her heart. And so we talked about how important it was for her to not only present herself uh, as a servant of the Lord, but then also to be present in the moment. And not always looking to the next thing, but that storing these things up in her heart. She was present in the moment as God did what he said he was going to do, as he fulfilled his promise. And we said how important that was to store the things up that God is doing in our heart, to be present, to, to realize the work that God is doing in your life, how he's fulfilling promises in your life, uh, because you're going to need those uh, in later days. She had hard days coming. There was going to be a day that she didn't know was going to come, but where she would watch her son be crucified. And if that, at that point, uh, I really believe that it's the, the treasuring up of those promises. It's her over and over realizing the faithfulness of God that brought her through that moment with tremendous faithfulness and with tremendous strength. So um, she displays an unbelievable character uh, and is a wonderful study uh, for us on, on counting on the promises of God and being a uh, being someone that lives in obedience and and lives in a, a position of trusting God. So, um, if if you didn't get to go through that with us last week, I would encourage you to uh, as you read through the story of of Christmas, really look at Mary and look at her process. It's a really cool, uh, again, a, an encouraging uh, testimony of steadfastness that I think many of us need to uh, to hear. I know it was it's every year it's a blessing for me to read through that and study her. Um, so this morning, uh, what I want to I want to jump off of that. And talk about uh, what does it mean? What what is the? And we're not going to be able to capture the fullest essence of it because Jesus is coming uh, is significant on a lot of different. Uh, levels, right? There's so many different ways that we could say, okay, this is what the birth of Jesus, this is what, what all is in it. But I think there's one that's really significant and that we don't talk about very often. And that's what I want to explore uh, today. And it's the reality that, G- that the birth of Jesus is the birth of a king. And we talk, I hear that some, that, that Jesus' birth uh, is the birth of a king. We refer to Jesus as a king uh, often, that's not something that you probably have, have never heard before, right? You've, you've probably heard uh, that Jesus uh, is a king. What we don't typically talk about is that if Jesus is a king, that his what is his birth significant of? Well, it's, it's significant because if Jesus is born a king, then what does Jesus preach while he's alive? And, and the reality is that Jesus's birth is the birth of a king who's inviting us into a kingdom. And that—that that is what I want to look at this morning. It's once you kind of start thinking that way, once you go, okay, Jesus is a king and he is a king of a kingdom and what is his kingdom like? Once you start thinking that way, as you read, uh, the text, you're going to be amazed how often Jesus himself refers to the kingdom, how often the Bible talks about the kingdom, um, and, and how often this language is really in the scripture. So what I want to do is kind of go through, like, like I said, we're going to do a lot of different passages. This is going to be uh, a simple, I think, understanding for us, but that's the perspective I want us to see, is that Jesus' birth is the birth of a king who's inviting us into a kingdom. And why is that significant? So go to Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in Matthew, we'll be in the Gospels quite a bit. Uh we'll jump around a little bit into the Old Testament. We'll be in Isaiah here in just a minute. But uh so here so here we go. So and then uh Sam, are you doing the slides? So I changed some order up, so just Kind of bear with me on that. Just listen to the reference and see if you can find it. If not, they have their Bibles and so we'll be good. And I added a few too, so some won't be on there. Okay, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born? What? King of the Jews. The inquiry was about a king. Where is this king uh, of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why was a king troubled? Because he was king. Yeah, it's competition, right? So they announced, hey, they come to a king, which, you know, uh, thinking back on it, maybe a different guy they could have asked, uh, but they chose to ask the king where the king was and... I don't know, maybe they didn't think that through. But they said, uh, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, this is interesting, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and they're quoting from Micah chapter 5, this is verse 2, It says, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a what? A ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about about this passage is in it we see... Uh, again, and, and it 's all throughout the scriptures, but we see a messianic expectation within the heart of the Jewish people. They were expecting a king to come the The reality of of a Messiah. Who would be a king? Who would be a ruler of of sorts? Was an idea that was firmly planted uh, in the Jewish mindset and their expectation. And you, if you read the Old Testament, you see it over and over and over again. There are pictures of the coming uh, Messiah over and over and over again in the Old Testament, and then there are, there are uh, several very specific references to his coming, to his establishing of a kingdom, to his in that establishing of a kingdom to uh, to rescue. Uh, the Jewish people. So this was a, a, an idea that was very firmly planted in the Jewish mind. And so they say when Herod inquires of the people, they say, oh, actually, actually, we know exactly where this is. The prophet Micah said that in Bethlehem of Judea would be where this king was born. So the announcement is made a king has been born. Now, we, I think we at Christmas time, we think a lot about uh, the baby Jesus, but it's important that we see in this moment the birth of a king that he is born and it's a it's a, only a king of this kingdom would be born where he's born right if we think about the birth of a king in any other scenario where is the king going to be born in some grand place right maybe in a maybe in a palace maybe you know I don't maybe somewhere elaborate certainly not in a barn Certainly not in a stable. Certainly not amongst livestock. But only a king of this kingdom would come in this way. The ruler of all the earth would be born in a stable. But Jesus is born a king. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Not many pages turning. Come on, Bible drillers. Let's go. Isaiah 9. Ready? Draw your swords. I don't know. I think that's what they said when it was time to go. All right, Isaiah 9. Here, here's just full disclosure. I actually didn't grow up Baptist, so all of these things I know, I know from stories. <laughs> I grew up Methodist, and we didn't do that. <laughs> so, I didn't learn about Bible drill until I was in high school, and, uh, and I was getting wore out by my buddies. <laughs> I mean, they tore me up. So anyway, I was always the last one. And then I would get some, like, they'd start reading, and I'd just, like, stop looking, even though I wasn't in the right spot. You know, just stop. I needed to at least look like I was in the right spot. Do you guys ever do that? No? Okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm there. Yeah, good word. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Isaiah 9. Sorry. I feel like I'm distracting you this morning. Isaiah 9. You ready? This This is prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah. Look. It says, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and listen to these words, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to verse 7. It says, of the increase of his... There's a king, right? Of the increase of his government and of... What kind of king is this? It's a good king, Right? He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his what kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a uh, verse 6. This is speaking of the birth of Jesus. This is telling us about who Jesus is. Jesus is the king of who will establish the kingdom, and of this kingdom, of this government, it will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This is the type of king that he is, and of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom, and he will establish it and uphold it. And how is the kingdom upheld? In what? justice and righteousness forever. Justice and righteousness is the substance of the kingdom forever. And who will do this? The zeal of the Lord will do this. This is, what, this is the work that God will do. Go to Luke chapter 1. That buzz, Peyton, is still happening. Try just muting stuff. Oh, okay. Maybe it's me. No, not me, I don't know. Okay, Luke chapter 1, John's on it. Happy day off, John. There we go, okay. Nope, that didn't work. Where was I? Luke 1, okay. Look at verse 31. So this is back into the, the, uh, the text uh, that we were in last week. Uh, speaking of Mary, now listen. So, so, based on Isaiah chapter 9, you guys got it? You got Isaiah 9 lodged in your brain? Here's, here's what the angel says. Uh, so, he said, he starts out back in verse 28, O favored one, the Lord is with you, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen to this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus he will be great and be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give him the what throne the throne of his father david what did i what did isaiah 9 say whose, whose kingdom would he uh, i'm sorry whose throne would he sit on he'd be in the line of david he would rule over david's kingdom right the people of israel it says that god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob how long Forever. What did Isaiah 9 say? There will be no end. Of his kingdom and of his government, there will be no end. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So it sounds familiar, doesn't it? I wonder as Mary's hearing this, and obviously we know if Mary comes from a Jewish background, she's, she's a Jewish woman, she knows this text. It would be without a doubt she would know this text. that this, These are words that are so closely constructed. Am I even on? Yeah, I am okay i don't need to be, but it's okay uh, These are words so closely constructed based on Isaiah nine that she would know what's being promised. The angel is telling her so when jesus' birth is forecast to his mother, it's in the context of a king being born he doesn't he doesn't say uh, anything about and if you if this is the one that if you believe on him, sin will be forgiven. This is the one that if if uh, uh uh, this is the one that will die on a cross. this is the one you know he doesn 't give any other detail Now we know these details to be true about Jesus and about his life, but the details that the angel reveals to Mary are the details that this is the king that has been promised. This is the one that will sit on the throne of his father uh, uh, of uh, of his father David speaking of of his lineage jesus promised lineage, his prophesied lineage to To David, That the king and the Messiah would be in the lineage of David. And this is what the the angel chooses to to say. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. Go to the book of Matthew. So go to your left. It's the first in your Bible of the Gospels. And go to chapter 3. So Jesus is born. The word is that he is a king. Being born to establish a kingdom. And not just any kingdom. The kingdom that has been promised. Now listen to what John says. It's going to say, so John the Baptist, who knows what, who John the Baptist is? All right. What was his job? To prepare the way, right? He's the announce the one that would announce the coming of who? Yeah, but Jesus is a what? A king. This is the one that was sent to announce the coming of the king. Okay. This was, this was, uh, imp- it's important. All right, because Jesus is a king, there's someone that comes and says the king is coming. And that person is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist points to Jesus and calls him a lamb, but he's preparing the way for a king. Now, listen to what he says. In those days, this is the beginning of chapter three. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What did he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? at hand now what does at hand mean it's here it's present it has come is what the, the what that phrase means and he says repent so there's an action that he's calling for because of the presence of the kingdom Repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. The king is here. Repent. There is a humbling of yourself that has to happen. There's a turning from wickedness that has to happen because the king is here. It is now. The time has arrived. The kingdom is at hand. It says, For this is he who was spoken of, verse 3, by the prophet of Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John was the one that fulfilled that prophetic word that he would prepare the way of the coming of the king. Go to Matthew chapter 4. So we know the story. Fast forward. um, Jesus encounters John. John, what does John do? He kind of freaks out, right? He sees the king, says, there's no way that I'm worthy of baptizing you. And Jesus comes asking to be baptized. And he says, there's no way that I'm worthy of doing that. I couldn't even essentially put your shoes on is what he says. I couldn't even do the job of a servant to you And Jesus says, wait, no, no, this isn't about rank and order. Do this because it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So this is a king that's obedient to his father. John does it, and this is the moment where, this is this incredible heavenly moment where the the heavens are open to Jesus, and we see the Spirit of God descending on him. Another, uh, Another affirmation that this is the king, that this is the Messiah. The Spirit descends on Jesus, and then he is led into the wilderness. Right, it says immediately he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, now he goes through this uh, this trial period where in the wilderness he's tempted, he's tested. The enemy comes and offers him kingdoms and uh, and in exchange for disobedience to God, just do this. Just, and Jesus resists. He's tested in what God has given him by the Spirit, and Jesus is proven to be perfect. And then he comes out of the of the wilderness, look at verse 17. It says, from that time, so Jesus is, essentially this is the beginning of his public ministry. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. So this is the substance of his message saying what? The very same thing that we heard John say. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a couple of things here that are important for us to see. Number one is the king is present. But also that Jesus is announcing a time period that has now begun and an invitation. Jesus makes an offer and this invitation is an invitation of repentance. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. Repentance is necessary for participation in the kingdom. Jesus says, because the kingdom is here, it is necessary for you to repent because this is the appointed time that has been prophesied of. This is what you've heard and it is now here. Therefore, the invitation for participation in the kingdom is to repent. Do you see it? Those two things are are incredibly important. That he's announcing the arrival of a time period, that the kingdom of heaven is now here and in your midst and repent in in order for participation. So look at, uh, keep going. So we were in verse 17. Keep going down to verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now the word gospel, what does it mean? We know this probably well. It means the good news. So the good news of the kingdom. It is good news that the kingdom is here. Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the presence of the kingdom. And he's doing this at simultaneously with an invitation for them to participate in the kingdom. This would not be good news if the kingdom had come and the kingdom was going to crush those that were there, right? That's an oppressive kingdom. But this king is not like that, and his kingdom is not run in that way. The kingdom has come, and the kingdom has come with an invitation from the king to participate in a good kingdom. You with me? Run by a good king. The essence of this kingdom is justice and righteousness. The essence of this kingdom is that it uh, it is established in peace. And so when Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom, he announces it as an invitation for participation in this kingdom. Think about history. How many kingdoms come into another kingdom and with their arrival announce an invitation? That's not typically the way history goes, is it? When a kingdom comes into a kingdom, it's called an invasion, <laughs> right? And it comes with hostility, not peace. It comes with war. It comes with demands. And it comes to establish itself in in absolute power, by the crushing of what exists. And Jesus' invitation is different. The kingdom has come subtly. The kingdom came with the coming of a king who's born in a manger. And the kingdom comes with grace and peace, with the announcement of the king saying, repent, because it's here, but it's all in peace. It's in justice. It's in righteousness. The offer of Jesus, the coming of Jesus for us, is the coming of a king who's establishing a kingdom in peace. And he's proclaiming the gospel of this kingdom. Now, go to John chapter 18. Just in case you were wondering if Jesus was just giving analogies <laughs> about the kingdom. He's not. He's asked directly at his arrest, and he's before Pilate. And he's asked very directly about this kingdom. Go to, are you in, okay, so John 18, I think I told you that. And look at verse We'll start in 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him. Now this is, okay, so this is the time Jesus Jesus has been arrested. This is the end of his life. And he says, this is Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? Is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, I love how Jesus answers questions, but he says, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus' answer to this accusation and to the question about his kingdom is this. My kingdom is not of this world. So he says that I'm not a king and there's no kingdom? Nope. (laughs) He answers Pilate's question of if he's a king by saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, you would know it. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus tells Pilate something that Jesus had been teaching his entire ministry. that His kingdom is not of the world. This is a different kingdom. He's not coming when his disciples asked him, Okay, is, it, is this the time that you'll restore everything into the house of Israel? Is this the time where you'll crush Rome and where, where we will rule? And who will sit at your right hand and who will sit at your left? And how's this going to go when you're the boss on the earth? And Jesus says, it's not your time. this is not for you to know the times and seasons. That day is coming when I will rule and reign on the earth. But the kingdom has not come in this way because the kingdom is not of this world. And he answers Pilate in the very same way that my kingdom is a kingdom But my kingdom is not of this world. And so because I'm a king of a kingdom that's not of this world, I can submit to this moment because it fulfills all righteousness according to obedience with my father. Go to Luke 17. He's going to speak a little bit more directly to the Pharisees. They ought to know better. They have studied the scriptures backwards and forwards. He's going to speak a little more directly to him than he did to to Pilate. So in Luke 17, go to verse 20. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, do you think that's a frustrating question for a teacher who's been preaching that the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. John said it and Jesus said it, both of them. And then these knuckleheads come and go, When's it coming? I don't know that you could frustrate a teacher more, but Jesus is so kind. <laughs> and stern. I like, he's stern as well. And he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Duh, you've already missed it, right? The kingdom of God is at hand and you're still looking for it. What did he tell Pilate? My kingdom is not of this world. What were they looking for? They were looking for a kingdom that is of this world, and because of that, they're missing it while being in it. Is that a word to us this morning? They're missing an invitation for participation in the kingdom that was at hand because they were looking for something else. They wanted the king to be a different kind of king, they wanted the kingdom to be a different kind of kingdom, and so they heard him say that the kingdom is here, and they followed up with, And when is it coming? Because they weren't willing to accept the king or the kingdom on the terms in which it came. And so their opportunity to participate was slipping by. So it says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is what? Yeah, in your midst. That's another way of saying at hand. The kingdom of God is present. You're looking for some set of circumstances to happen. What you're missing is that the kingdom of God is in and amongst you. Now, what does this tell us? That it takes intentionality to step into the kingdom. The kingdom's not going to slap you upside the head, you're not going to wake up one morning and be entered into the kingdom. You're not going to leave from here and participate in the kingdom. Though it's in your midst, it's not aggressive. Jesus will not make you interact with the kingdom. Whether you're a believer or not, he's not going to make you interact with the kingdom. That The kingdom of God has come and it's present in and amongst you. Is the kingdom of God here? Is the kingdom of God in this room? But there may be some of us who are not participating. And there may be some of us that are. The kingdom of God is present. Jesus came and the season began where the kingdom of God was present and available to all through him, through the king. But it's not going to force itself on you. You don't have to live in the kingdom. But Jesus said you're looking for it in ways that it's not here. It's not going to be understood and lived in in worldly ways. It takes repentance. Repentance. It takes humility. It takes a different kind of eyes to see and then walk in the kingdom. And he's going to explain this in detail in John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. I love this passage. There's nothing confusing about the gospel. There's no, Jesus didn't leave anything up to question. It's confusing when we try to figure it out on our terms. But Jesus explained it quite well. It's just spiritual. It's heavenly in nature. And so you have to take the kingdom uh, at what it is, for what it is, at face value in a sense. So chapter 3 of John. He says, it says, there, uh, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, classy, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He, he only came at night because he was going to say that, right? He wouldn't have said that in the day. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So I'll tip my hat to you in this way. I feel like you're doing some pretty crazy stuff and feel like God's probably involved, right? That's essentially what he's saying. He's trying here not to give Jesus too much credit, but to, but to get from him what he wants. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, here it is, Born again. He cannot, what? See the kingdom of God. Okay, so why were they missing it? What was the call to participate? What was the call, the announcement at the coming of the kingdom? Repent. Repentance is the foundation step of being born again. There's no such thing as being born again absent repentance. Repentance is the turning away from sin and the humbling of oneself before God in order to receive Christ Jesus as Savior, which brings entrance into the kingdom through Christ. And so you can know that a kingdom is coming, and you can be in the presence of the King, but without being born again, you will not see it, nor will you participate in it. And Nicodemus says, we know that these things are from God. And essentially, Jesus tells him, yeah, you just have a a slight idea. You're just seeing the ramifications of what's happening all the time in the kingdom. You're just seeing the way that the kingdom manifests itself in in a physical environment. But you're not actually seeing the kingdom. You're just seeing miracles. Now, that's something for us to hear. What was Nicodemus observing? He was observing The product of the kingdom. What's the product of the kingdom? Supernatural things, right? The kingdom of God is only going to produce God things. And when God things hit the world, what happens? Things change. When the kingdom of God encounters blind eyes, what happens? They open. If you look at it with just worldly eyes, all you're going to see is eyes opening. It's all Nicodemus saw. He saw eyes opening. He saw things that were profound in nature being taught by Jesus. He saw things being explained about the law that he'd never thought he would understand. And Jesus, with such eloquence and simplicity, would say, this is what this means. Why? Because Jesus is seeing the law according to the kingdom. Nicodemus is seeing the law according to the eyes of man. Jesus is seeing the healing of blind eyes according to the kingdom. Nicodemus is seeing healing of blind eyes according to man. And so he observed the kingdom and even was able to attribute the actions of the kingdom to God, but he could not see the kingdom. understand he couldn't see or participate in the kingdom why because he had not been born again the kingdom is present and moving and you might see its action you might see the product of it but to see the kingdom to have access in to the kingdom that jesus brought you must be what born again there is no other way and the only way that new birth happens is through whom the king of this kingdom who's come in peace and with an invitation to repent because the kingdom is here. And he says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And listen to to Nicodemus, verse 4. What does he say? Again, he's taking something that is kingdom and not of this world, and he's rationalizing it. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's a pretty good question. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's not a bad question. And what does Jesus say? You know you're in trouble when Jesus starts with truly, truly. You know, I'm going to, if I ever say anything profound, I need to start, start it with truly, truly. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, what's he describing? What is water? Cleansing and repentance and the Spirit capital S, Spirit, the Spirit of God, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So his answer to Nicodemus is, no, what you're describing is in a physical way. What I'm talking about is a new birth by the Spirit of God. This is new birth in the kingdom. He says, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit The kingdom of God and those who live in it and according to it will not be understood on rational terms The wind blows but you don't He said, what does he say the wind blows where it wishes you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes Blind eyes are healed, but you do not see the substance behind the blind eyes being healed. Profound things are taught and understood according to the law that you do not understand. And it's because you have not been born again. And so Jesus tells us that the offer to come into the kingdom is through second birth. Jesus, through second birth, which is... The, the basis of second birth is on repentance. You with me? You guys tracking? The basis of second birth is through repentance. We repent from walking away in the ways according to the world where our flesh leads us, where we do what we want to do by our own desires. We repent of this way because a king is here, because a kingdom is present. And we repent and we believe the truth according to that king, according to that kingdom. That that king is the one who has promised salvation to all through the shedding of his blood and his resurrection from the dead. And we put our faith and our trust in him because of the foundation of repentance and we're born again. And in our new birth, we enter into this kingdom. And then you and I are participants in the kingdom that is not of the world. And our call, our life is to be lived out in the context, not of the world. The world now serves as the backdrop for where our lives, according to the kingdom, are played out. We are now people of the kingdom that serve a king. Go to Colossians chapter 1. And I didn't, well, I'll get there in a moment. This is, man, when we don't have worship, I can go like another 15 minutes. Now they're like, bring back the guitars. We laugh here. We sing a lot here at this church, don't we? And we always, we, our kind of our joke in staff, I told Blake one time, where two or three are present at Fredonia Hill, Blake's guitar is in their midst. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? I did that all by myself, no help. Okay. Is that all right? Okay. So participation in the kingdom through repentance, okay? Here it is. Listen to Colossians 1. I, I love this passage. Uh, verse 13. This, now, all of Colossians 1 is about Jesus, okay? So when it says He, capital H, talking about Jesus, okay? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to what? Do you know that you've been transferred? Those of you in the room that have been born again, that have repented and believed on Jesus and have been born again, not not physically, but been born again by water and the Spirit, do you know that you've been transferred? Do you know that you do not any longer live in the domain of darkness? But that you now exist in the kingdom of what? Not just any kingdom. The kingdom of His beloved Son. Who is the king of this kingdom? Jesus. The kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Why is this message of the kingdom so important? Why is it important that when we see Jesus in the manger that we see a king bringing a kingdom? Why can we not miss the substance of this message? I'm going to give you just a couple of reasons why I think this is so, so, so important. Because I think now what we do is when we preach the gospel, we preach the gospel as if Jesus is someone like Santa Claus. This is a good way of saying this at this time of year, I think. And we use the words believe in. Now, there's nothing wrong with those words because those are true words, right? That's what the gospel demands of us, that we believe on Jesus, not in him, but on him for salvation, right? So the, so the word believe is not a bad word, but when we say believe nowadays, what does it kind of mean? It's kind of associated with things that are not really true, kind of fairy tale type things. Especially this time of year, we're talking about believing in Santa Claus. And so what we say is, we say, okay, believe in Jesus and he'll save you from your sin. And this is the way that we preach the gospel. Believe in Jesus. He'll save you from your sin. Here's the good news. You'll be forgiven of all of the bad things that you're going to do and the things that you've done before. So all of the things past and all the things future will be forgiven. And you get to spend eternity with Jesus and the people that you love who have, who have gone before you. You'll see them again and there will be great rejoicing. And you'll be in the presence of Jesus, the King, uh, in heaven forever. Well, that sounds like an okay deal, and that's what we're peddling on the streets. That's the gospel that we're peddling. That's not the gospel that Jesus preached. Are those things included? Yeah, but if we look at the substance of the gospels, he spent the least amount of time on those things. If we were to do some gospel math, he spends some time speaking of eternity with him, but not much. It's a promise to his disciples who are shaking in fear. Don't worry, you'll be with me forever. And then quickly back to, and here's what's happening right now, right? Jesus didn't preach this gospel. What is the gospel that Jesus preached? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Be born again, for the kingdom is here. He, he preached a gospel of the kingdom. He preached an invitation that through him, we might enter into the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Why is that important? Well, because in the kingdom, guess what? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Only in the kingdom. Only in submission to that king is there redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That transfer has to happen. When does that transfer happen? That transfer happens at the moment of new birth. At the moment of being born again, based in repentance, we're born again. And we're born again with a transfer from a domain of darkness to a kingdom. Why else is it important? Because if all we believe about the gospel and all we preach about the gospel is that Jesus came so that you would be forgiven of your sin, and that's a good message. It's just a half-truth. It's just almost there. Jesus came that, that you would be forgiven of your sin and spend eternity with him. What does that mean for the context of my life now? It means nothing. Because I don't finish the story, that gospel message means not much for me right now. Well, okay, then that sounds like a pretty good idea. I'll believe in this Jesus figure and I'll, I'll spend eternity with him when I die. And that's about it. What does it demand of me now? Nothing. Well, what does Jesus demand of me now in this book? It, he demands of me now today to be perfect, to be righteous, to preach the gospel to all the nations, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be a minister of reconciliation. That's what's required for today. But with the gospel that doesn't include the kingdom, then none of those things matter. Yet that's what Jesus preached was this gospel of the kingdom. It's important for you to know that if you've been born again, that you live in the kingdom. And if you live in the kingdom, you better be participating in it. I believe we have so many Christians today who have been born again and live in the kingdom, but do not submit to it, do not know how to see it, do not know how to walk in it. Though they have an invitation and access into the kingdom, they live according to the world. If you're going to be successful in doing the things that God has asked you to do, it is vital that you be present in the kingdom. Jesus lived according to the kingdom. We must live according to the kingdom. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the kingdom is not like this world. Because in the kingdom, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Do we even know who we're fighting? Powers and principalities of darkness, not each other. Key giveaway, we're not living in the kingdom. We're too busy fighting each other. In the kingdom, our battle is not against flesh and blood. In the kingdom, blessing is different. What's another dead giveaway? We're not living in the kingdom. We're grappling for the stuff of the world. Blessing is different in the kingdom. Read Matthew 5 through 7. he will tell you all about blessing in the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for yeah, righteousness. That's not of the world. Blessing is different in the kingdom and we're grappling for the things of the world. And here's the other thing. We're fighting each other based on that grappling. <laughs> In the kingdom, relationships with others are different. Why? Because we see them according to the kingdom. We see them according to the way that the king has made them. How do I know this? Because in the kingdom, enemies are blessed. How could we bless our enemies lest we see them the way that the king has seen them? Lest we see them and know them based on the kingdom. In the kingdom, there's no such thing as an enemy, there's an opportunity to bless. In the kingdom, it's all upside down. <laughs> talked about this before. Maybe we should start saying this, that the world's just upside down. The kingdom's right side up. (laughs) In the kingdom, leadership is submission. We're leading based on power. The kingdom demands that leadership be in submission and compassion. Leadership on the earth is different. A dead giveaway we're not living in the kingdom is that we're fighting each other for power. We're fighting, listen, how stupid this is. We're fighting each other For power. Why do we need power? The kingdom has enough on its own. Jesus didn't fight for power. He told Pilate, I can lay down my life because power is not an issue. If it were, my kingdom would were of the world. If power were an issue, then there would be a fight. But I don't have to fight because power is not an issue. I can lay my life down in compassion. Because in the kingdom, compassion moves things forward, not power. Look at our culture today. It's a fight for power. Power moves things forward. In the kingdom, it's compassion. In the kingdom, we know who we are. And we never question a day and a moment that we're loved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? In the world, you have to constantly second guess and question your worth and your value. You do it by stacking yourself up against your neighbor by your success in a corporate setting, your success in school, how, well, how good your family is, what amount of money you have. There's this constant judgment of my success and of my value in the world. And in the kingdom, we never have to think about it a single moment. Because in the kingdom, your worth and your value never changes. Wouldn't you like to live in that kingdom? Wouldn't you like to wake up in your day of deepest despair, of deepest trouble, and know that you've been perfectly loved in all of it? know that you're perfectly valued in all of it? I had this thought this weekend. I, I woke up and I wasn't even thinking about God. The last, I mean, you know, it's like I wasn't it's not like I spent all this time in devotional prayer. It wasn't this holy 36 hours, but I thought about this that in the last 36 hours, I haven't paid too much attention to God. I've just kind of been da da da, da, da moving through my world. And in all of that 36 hours, his thoughts about me never changed. His love for me didn't waver in any of that, and I was just obliviously being perfectly loved. <laughs> That's the kingdom. And in the kingdom, well, here's something about the kingdom it's an advancing kingdom. I don't quite know how to explain this one yet, but it's f- a full kingdom, but it's advancing. <laughs> it doesn't lack anything, but it's moving. <laughs> I hadn't got to the theology of that yet. I just—that's—it's—that's. That's, those are two true things, and I'll explain it another day when I understand it. But it's a complete kingdom. The, the kingdom is lacking in nothing, but it's advancing, isn't it? Your salvation is evidence of its advancement. Here's the other thing about the kingdom: it's advancing, and you're called to participate in its advancement. What does Paul say? That we are ministers of reconciliation. That's how the kingdom moves forward is by reconciling things to its maker, right? You were reconciled to God in new birth and repentance. And that's how the kingdom moves forward in peace and righteousness is through reconciliation. And I just think that's a much better Christmas message. Don't you want to live in that kingdom? Don't you want to be part of that? Well, that's what's in here. And every day that we wake up, every day of... Sanctification, as we call it, is a day to learn how to be a child in the kingdom. That's what sanctification is. Because in the kingdom, you're a child, but you're also a disciple. You're a disciple of Jesus, called to be like him in character and in nature. And every day in the kingdom, we get to be taught how to be just like him, not by a boss or a a teacher, but by a father who knows exactly exactly how to give his children everything that they need. That's what the kingdom is. I want to be Christ like based on the instruction of my father. And that's the kingdom. So that's a better message. Let's tell that one and we'll be finished. You guys all right? So when you see baby Jesus, he's a king, right? Bringing a kingdom. God, we thank you that you're a good king. We thank you that this is good news because it was an announcement of the king whose kingdom will not end and that king is good and just. That there is not a moment where you lack justice or peace. That there is not a moment where you waver in your righteousness. And even as I discovered this weekend that even in my obliviousness I'm perfectly loved in the kingdom. And I'm perfectly known in the kingdom. And we thank you for these truths. And God, would you teach us how to be children in your kingdom. Would you tear us away from our desire to live according to the kingdom of men, the domain of darkness? I don't want to live there. God, would you teach me to be full and satisfied in living in the kingdom? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we hey, just a quick announcement. We will not see you guys next week because next week is Christmas. So uh, just so you know, you'll hear it in the next hour, but... We are uh, not having services on Christmas morning. We will have Christmas Eve services um, at 5 o'clock. And Christmas Eve is the day before Christmas, right? It's the eve. Okay, there you go. So 5 o'clock the night before Christmas. If you can come, we would love to see you there. So uh, anyway, you guys are dismissed. See you.